and welcome to the Coming Out of the Basement podcast for the week of June 11, 2012. I'm your co-host, Carlos, and with me is your co-host, BJ. Uh, first, today's special topic is going to be boy bands, from New Kids on the Block to the Backstreet Boys to Metallica. BJ? Uh, I'm a Backstreet Boy fan all the way. Uh, that's right, uh, Backstreet's back all the way, I agree. Uh, but in all seriousness, what's going on? Uh, you know, another uh, we're, we're a little late with the podcast, but to be fair, um, I think the, in our defense, both you and I have been completely consumed with the weekend beta event for Guild Wars 2. Unfortunately, I haven't been completely consumed, but I did get to play it some yesterday. Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of fun with it. Okay, so my excuse is I've been completely consumed with the, <laughs> the weekend beta event. So um, having a lot of fun with that, I think it's they got a lot of good stuff going. You know, uh, did you have you done any of the PvP with that yet? I, that, I actually this time I actually did get to participate in the world PvP and it was awesome. Um, I was running around and uh, you know following following a bunch of people around. Got invaded, blinked up to a turret, built the turret, and then just rained like arrows on all everyone invading. It was incredible. I had I had a blast. Um, Scott uh, and and Matt and myself, we built three trebuchets in a very far, far away uh, from the enemy, right? And Mm -hmm. basically one of us had to go be a spotter to let the others know if they were actually hitting, right? Mm-hmm. So we're we're on Skype and and you know the, we we see the the rain coming down of the trebuchet and we're like, you know, two degrees to the left and we see that it's finally hitting the gate and doing damage. I mean, it's it's amazing how much detail they put into the PvP content. You know, the supply lines, you got to capture points and hold yes. points. Yeah, I, I yeah I, I and you have an effect even as a single individual because I mean I went into some of the places that were doing supplies. I upgraded the defenses. I, I, de- I defended the people as they were traveling. I mean, it was it was a whole lot of fun. It's not just it's it's also that you can jump in and be effective in PvP at any yeah. level. Yes, at any level, and it's not super high pressure either. No, I mean like Scott's like level thirty something. I'm level twenty something. I think Matt was like level eighteen or, or what have you. And we're all different levels, different gear sets, but. It auto-balances everything for kind of a generic 80 feel. Now, if you do have better gear, it'll help you, but it won't cripple you being lower level and having worse gear. I was still very effective in combat, stunning people, rooting people, you know, shoving people up in the air and stuff like that, and I could do decent damage. It's a, it's amazing that they really focused on convenience, the the ability to, to warp around everywhere for a minor fee. They don't mess with the animations like, oh, riding on a griffin or a horse. You just boop, 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 you know, pop wherever you need to be for a small fee. You can pop in and out of war zones. It's The whole thing is very convenient. Did you play around with the um, deposit-to-bank uh, option that they threw in? Uh, yes, with the collectible stuff, you mean? Yeah, yeah very so- handy. You don't have to keep running back and forth and emptying out your your your, uh, your bags. You can just throw everything into your bank account as you're out adventuring. So mm-hmm. they're really focusing on the the uh, quality of life features in an MMO that I think makes it that much more successful. I agree, and the travel part in particular I think is a really good idea because I know uh, Warcraft has done some very good things recently. I think the transmogrification will let you look however you want. I think that's good. They have void storage now. I think that's good, basically a bunch of extra storage. But they keep on making the travel harder 
right? So when Wrath of the Lich King came out, you can teleport to all the major cities from one big city, Dalaran. They took that out. Now you have to. Now it's much harder to get from place to place. Apparently, with and, and one of the things that they did is uh, high high level guilds can call, can summon everybody to to a single person, so that you can go to the go to the tower and then summon everyone to the raid or whatever, and you can all go. Well, they're taking that out with in Mist of Pandaria because they want people to explore and to move around and whatever. But I think that's not a good idea. Uh, that's been the most annoying thing, single most annoying thing about World of Warcraft for me in, in, in the last changes. The thing that annoys me about World of Warcraft is, like, with every new expansion, my guy has to relearn how to fly a griffin. And and that's what annoys me. Because when they threw in the flying griffins, like the custom mount griffins, I was like, this is awesome, right? I had a lot of fun with that. But then each expansion after that... You know, you got to relearn how to do it and dump in another thousand, five thousand gold, you know, or else you can't fly in this one place. And I'm just like, what? I mean, my guy steps foot on this land and he's like, nope, can't fly here. Just nope. don't know how to fly when it's cold. Yeah. Yeah, I can't figure it out. Nope, 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 nope. So, just annoying. No, I agree. I mean, I, I think travel is a big deal. And I think that uh, the games that make travel easy, convenient, I mean, if people want to explore, they'll explore. And I do. You know, when I first go to a place, I'll totally explore. But if you want us running, you know, the same content at high level, if you want us doing stuff like that, you need to make it convenient for us to actually do it. Guild Wars 2 does that really well. I jumped back and forth between PvP and the world. In the world, like you said, I jumped from place to place, like just getting all the skill points, getting all the the missions that they did, and it was fun. It was it was a really good time and really easy to travel, and and uh, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Now the real question is, will do you think this has a chance of dethroning the king? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, I think that there is a chance, but it's just different enough that it could hurt it. Its chances. Yeah, I don't. I. I'm not sure how well they're going to do. I mean, so far, we've seen a lot of people going free-to-play. I mean, even Warcraft is now free-to-play at early levels. Yeah. Um, and I'm not... And uh, this is a completely different model. So it'll, it will it doesn't have the subscribers in the same way that these other MMOs do. So I don't know exactly how that's going to affect things. But it's, it's already coming in with the predefined system, the, the cash-buying system mm-hmm. for the gems and stuff like that. And even then, the gems, you know, you can buy luxury items, but you can still get the gems, not with cash, but with, like... You know the the in-game money. There's there's a trading system. You know trade gems right. for for in-game cash or in-game cash for gems. So they've already got a system in place to to kind of meet the non um, the non-monthly fee income that they're looking to, to retain. Right. Yeah. No. The microtransaction thing has been very successful for other MMOs, and, and we'll see. We'll see. So I'm I'm having fun with it. I think my our friends were we're gonna probably dump hours and hours and hours into that game. Um, and we'll, we'll see. Like you said, you know, I, I think it's got the, the makings and they just need to, to tighten it up, firm it up a little bit and, and it'll be good to go. Yeah, I agree. So let's, uh, let's, let's take care of some, um, housekeeping work. Um, first of all, we got to give a, a shout out to the network interface.com. So, um, as listeners may remember a little while ago, uh, the tech shop boys kind of picked us up to be part of their podcasting network. Uh, there are several podcast networks run nowadays. Um, Mark Marin runs one. Um, Jay Moore runs run. Of course, you know, one of my, my big idols, uh, Kevin Smith runs the Smodcast network and, and kind of in that same vein, the tech shop boys wanted to start a geek hobbyist type of, um, uh, podcast network that was more focused about, um, the central America stuff, you know, not the coastal podcast, but more, 
more common man type stuff, you know, not, you know, be it uh, over in East Coast or West Coast, but, you know, people who are, are a bit more, I guess, is it wrong to say middle, middle income? Um, no, probably not. Okay. Um, so they're starting up the network interface, and uh, this is uh, already, we got the Tech Shop boys up there. We're up there, and uh, hopefully we'll have a, a new uh, logo to go up there. And then they have the uh, Anthropology of Cyber Entertainment. And their first one was just posted a couple of days ago. Which is awesome. I have It's on my list. I haven't uh, listened to it yet. Like I said, been wrapped in the arms of Guild Wars 2. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a, apparently as a part of this, they have a, a media push from a group called the Knights Who Say Me. I, uh, obvious uh, from the... Uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Thank you. My, I was brain farting on that for a <laughs> second. I was like, I know it's from something important. Um, <laughs> so yeah, apparently there's this uh, social media group who's kind of pushing all this stuff, the Knights of St. E, so shout out to them. We were asked if we'd seen the numbers jump up at all since all this has happened, and to be honest, I mean, have you looked at the numbers? Um, I, I've looked at it a little bit, but not in the last week or so, so I need to go back and take a look uh, later on this week, and I can give you more info next time. So, uh, from last I've seen, the numbers haven't really jumped up at all, So, but that's fine. I mean, we, we do this for fun, not for, for anything other than that. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, and certainly we've had more hits from Facebook and stuff like that. But like I said, I haven't I haven't checked recently. But no, it looks cool. I mean, it looks like they're getting some interesting topics together. So that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to listening to it, seeing what happens. Absolutely, absolutely. So yes, the the podcasting network looks up and running. So please, uh, if you've got time, go visit thenetworkinterface.com and see what's up there. Um, give a listen to the Tech Chop Boys. I enjoy them, and and they. They uh they cover some interesting stuff there. And yeah, and they seem to be having a lot of fun, which is very cool. Yeah. All right. So, the uh, what's on our main docket today, Carlos? So our main docket, um, we're going to talk about a couple of things. You, I think you wanted to talk about online RPG type stuff, and I wanted to talk a bit about the Dresden Files. And when you proposed that, the first thing I wrote to you was, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Book, TV show." RPG or comic? Because <laughs> and my answer was yes. <laughs> okay, and I was like, yes, I you know, because I love all those. Yeah. So, um, you wanna you wanna give a little maybe a brief history of the uh, the Dresden Files? Yeah, we can start with the Dresden Files. That's cool. Sure. Um, as you probably know, I read a lot, uh, constantly. You know, I read a, several books a week. Uh, a lot of stuff I read is, is not very good. I, I will confess, <laughs> much much to. Uh, much to Holly's chagrin, my, my house is filled with bookshelves. Um, very happy about the advent of e-readers because uh, then I don't quite have as many as I, I should, but I have tons of books around. Um, and most of what I read, uh, not for school stuff, is, is going to be fiction, like complete escapism, fantasy, SF, horror stuff in particular. So um, a lot of what I read is in the what they call the contemporary fantasy uh, subgenre or sometimes urban fantasy, if it's set in the city type thing, which is usually involves with these fantasy fantasy elements, magic, wizards, and stuff like that set in modern life, you know, or, or often set in, like, an alternate version of, of our world, right? So, um, some other examples would be, like, uh, Charlene Harris's uh, Suki Stackhouse series, or the True Blood series, uh, stuff by Kim Harrison, stuff by Laurel K. Hamilton, and stuff like that. Um, and, and what we're talking about today is Jim Butcher's Dresden Files. Um, we'll probably talk about some other ones another time, because, I, like I said, I read a lot in that genre, and, uh, and and I'll talk about other authors at some point. Um, the Dresden Files was one of the first ones I, 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 I read, um, one of the modern, like very modern type fantasies. Uh, started coming out in the year 2000. Um, 
there are several uh, novels. There's uh, depending on how you categorize them. There's currently 13 standalone novels. There's also um, a novel of short stories or, or a book of short stories. And there's uh, novellas. There's there's short stories in other collections. There's uh, there's like you mentioned. There's graphic novels. And each one each of these all have unique stories in them. So in order to get like everything, you you actually have to have to have to get a lot of different kinds of things. There's uh, even the graphic novels have have some unique stories in them. Although for the most part, they're uh, they're basically redoing the series. Um, there was also a 2007 uh, series of 12 episodes on sci-fi, which actually I, I, I've owned for a really long time and never watched it until this past week. You know, specifically for the podcast, these are the sacrifices I make. So, um, but yeah, no, it's it, it was it, and it's fun. So that it basically star uh, the star of the series is Harry Dresden, um, who is uh, in the phone book uh, in Chicago. As a wizard, and the series is a, a starts off as kind of this detective mystery type thing related to magic, and as the books go on, he gets more and more caught up in the magical world and the goings on um, that relate between him and and the wizards and the other kind of supernatural creatures, uh, vampires, fairies, and other type of things that are in the world. So it, it's and I, you know, um, do you want to chime in on anything before I go on? Um, sure. Um, when it comes to the media stuff for it, because there, like you said, it, it's in all different categories. Um, I was first introduced to it from the TV series. So just as you said, you know, you just watched them. That's how I started. Um, and the TV series, much like Serenity, um, I'm sorry, Firefly, uh, much like Firefly, I think was was underappreciated. That it took a very interesting perspective. Um, it had that sort of old world detective feel to it with a new modern twist. It didn't hope, you know pull any punches and stuff like that. Ultimately, it, it only went on to you know a handful of episodes, uh, unfortunately. Right. It went on to twelve episodes. Um, I, I, I tend to agree. Um, I, I think not every episode was great, but I think it had a lot of potential. And I think had they stuck with it, they probably could have gotten something really great in time. Um, it, it again. It was one of those things where sci-fi looks really hard at the numbers, and if it's not doing quite what they do, then they'll cancel it. And that's kind of what happened here. People were waiting for for a while to determine whether or not it was been canceled, and it was one of those last minute, yeah, we're not renewing you type things. So yeah, um, I, I liked it so far. I haven't actually finished the series yet, but I've seen the first eight, um, and a lot of them. It's interesting how they did this. Uh, a lot of them are actually each episode is one of the books almost. Um, so of course it takes a lot out. Obviously, you can't go over the book in a single episode, but like the basic mystery is one of the books that 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 has come out, um, and it is not quite. It, and they've specifically said it's not the book series. It is a, basically an alternate version. Harry Dresden doesn't quite follow the books, although a lot of the basic stuff is the same. But there's a lot that's different also. Um, but now yeah, it is enjoyable. Um, it is on Netflix now, so uh, it, it's pretty easy to watch on Netflix, and the DVD series is relatively inexpensive as well. So yeah, I, I would recommend checking it out if you have any interest in the genre at all. It's a lot of fun. Um, I have not read the graphic novels yet, but I should be reading them pretty soon. Um, have you had a chance to look at any of them? Yes, I've read two of them. Um, Welcome to the Jungle, the first one, which was right. an independent one, and then the second graphic novel they did was a recreation of the first book, I believe. Um, yes, which was Stormfront. <clears throat> yes, yeah, Stormfront. Both very well done, and I think they did a great job because you know, again, 
you know, transferring the medium, just as you said, you got to cut things out for the, the TV show. You got to do the same thing and figure out how you're going to tell it on a comic book because things that translate well to a television show aren't going to translate well to the comic book, right? And and the the transfer of the medium, I think did a, they did a great job of, of delivering the story and telling an interesting and compelling story um, in, in that series. Yeah, um, and and the series is a good series. Um, there's a he he goes by a interesting convention in naming them. Almost every single book has a title of two words, and each word has the same number of letters, and the title has something to do with the subject of the book. So the first one is Stormfront, then Full Moon, then Grave Peril, then Summer Night, and actually he follows this convention all the way through, except for one book called number, uh, which is numbered the twelfth book in the series, which is called Changes. And I think the the change in title is also indicative of a lot happens in that book. Um, and that book is really all about changes and stuff like that. But then it continue, it picks up again after that. So um, the, ne- the the latest book to come out is called Ghost Story. And then there's one that should be coming out, I think, later this year, although they haven't specifically announced the date yet. That would follow the normal release schedule. It is called Cold Days. Uh, but I'm not quite sure about that yet. Have they talked to him like about that? Like why – asked him why he does that? Um, I don't know, honestly. Uh, they do actually touch. I've seen that talked about some places, and I've, and then actually it's talked about in the RPGs quite a bit. Uh, well, not quite a bit, but they give a good section of it to talk about the titles and what they mean. From but from the perspective of Harry Dresden, not from the perspective of Jim Butcher. So I don't know. Gotcha. So yeah, there's there's a lot of good stuff out there. Um, have you played the RPG at all? I haven't played it. I own the RPG. I own I own the two books and the the adventures that are out for the RPG so far. I have not had a chance to play it, but I've had a chance to read through it, and I'd like to play it sometime. It it looks like a lot of fun. Um, it's it's by Evil Hat Productions, and um, other t- other things that they've done is uh, that they're probably best known for. I think would be Spirit of the Century, which is that pulp game, and they use something called the Fate System. Uh, mechanic-wise, which is in turn based on the fudge system mechanics. Uh, Fate stands for Fantastic Adventure and Tabletop Entertainment. Uh, Fudge has had different names. Uh, It kind of depends on who you ask what the acronym stands for. Um, It used to stand for Freeform Universal Do-It-Yourself Gaming Engine. But basically, they're both open, like like third edition of D&D, they both use the they're both open gaming licensed uh, mechanics. Uh, so, which is which is cool, and so the fate system specifically uses what are called fudge dice, named after the the fudge system, which are basically six sided dice um, that that you use to to attempt your skills. From reading it, I suspect in a lot of ways it plays like like something like White Wolf games, um, in that basically if you actually have the fudge dice. There's two sides with pluses, two sides with blanks, and two sides with minuses. You usually roll four fudge dice, uh, and you total up the number of pluses, minuses, and blanks until you get a positive or a negative number, and then you apply it to whatever action you're trying to do. Um, and and again, and you can use d6s, of course, just one, two, three, four, five, six, and to do the same thing. Uh, but yeah, and and that's how you do skills, and that's how you do other things like that. You're always assumed to be average in those skills, so which is nothing, and you don't write that down. Uh, and but when you actually do skills, that's when you put points in, and that's when you get extra dice and extra successes, and they give difficulties as well. So say, for example, something has a difficulty of 
average. That means that you'd have to roll nothing or better on your four dice in order to to succeed at that, right? So say that you're good at it. Say that you're strong, right? And you have a strength of, of one or two. Well, you would you would roll the four dice, add your two, and that would tell you whether or not you succeeded at that particular event. So it, it's a pretty it's it's a it's a relatively simple mechanic that gets a little bit more complicated in play, but that's that's the basic part of it there, and it really seems like one more more of those narrative type games. Uh, so there 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 are there are mechanics, but it's it's uh, some of the mechanics specifically emphasize the narrative. So for example, you have something called aspects, right? And aspects are things about your character that you can invoke or the GM can invoke to give you or to spend what they call what what are called fate points which is another one of these mechanics and the way that these these aspect works like say one of Harry Dresden's aspects is you know wizard detective right and say that something requires him to or something that he thinks he would use as um, that would help that the fact that he is a wizard detective say he's investigating something he could spend a fate point and invoke his aspect and by invoking his aspect he can do a lot of things he can like add to die rolls he can do uh, other things he can um, he can re-roll dies or he can actually try to change the narrative of the story slightly so he can say well I'm invoking my wizard detective aspect so I'm going to use magic in order to, you know, uh, search the area for magical residue or something like that. That might not be a great example. I just pulled that out of my head. But um, but basically he can spend that and the GM can allow that or not allow it. Aspects can also, though, be used to gain fate points. So one of Harry – I th- I'm not entirely sure this is true, but one of Harry Dresden's aspects could be something like uh, tempted by power because one of the recurring motives in the Dresden files is that – Harry keeps on being offered particularly dark power or, or power with with a price, which which is a constant temptation to him, which he might need. So that could be one of his aspects. So the GM could say, hey, you know, the queen of fairy is going to offer to give you power, in, but you have to do her a favor later, later, later on. Um, and if you accept this, I'll give you a fate point. So I'm invoking your aspect of whatever, and you have a choice. You can accept that and take that fate point, which you can use later on to do those really cool things, or you can reject it and not take that fate point. So it, it's this kind of interesting joint narrative like directly into the mechanical system between the players and the GMs. And, and it was designed to be a rules-light system for, like you said, more story-driven campaigns. It comes down to that, you know, and, and I don't like it when people say this because I think it's, it's an oversimplification, but they talk about the... Role-playing games, R-O-L-E, versus the role-playing games, R-O-L-L, when one is, you know, one is supposed to be the R-O-L-E, the role-playing games are supposed to be the story-driven, character-driven games, and the R-O-L-L role-playing games are, you know, just for the people who prefer tactical combat, you know, get everyone on the grid and and play out uh, a game that's about, you know, fighting and, and, you know, treasure and stuff like that. So, but yeah, you're, you're right. The, the fate and fudge system is supposed to be um, rules light for um, driving the narrative, and the the rules are designed to give uh, characters a lot of narrative control. Where and a, a, yes, and a lot of flexibility in a lot of different things. I mean, and it's not like it is it is rules light in one sense, and, and it emphasizes the narrative. But the the main book, the book one, uh, is more than 400 pages of stuff having to do with rules and stuff too. So it's not like completely. 
it, it, it certainly has rules and it has lots of examples and it has and it has a lot of things that you can do um, and, and things can get complicated, but it doesn't have to be that way. And they also have ways of, of you know, quick playing stuff or, or doing stuff without having to go through all, every single thing you could possibly need to go through. Um, the book does something that the two volumes, there's two volumes out so far. There's volume one, your story and volume two, our story, our world. And volume one is all about playing the game, making your story as GM and players, making your characters, how magic works, stuff like that. And volume two is like kind of like the monster manual, right? It has all the all the examples of characters from the Dresden universe uh, that you can look at and maybe even base characters on. And it does something that a lot of different people do, uh, which doesn't always work in that when you're reading through it, it has little notes in the margins and it's it's and and it's like an in game an in universe authorship so in game this book is an rpg that's being written by some of the characters in the dresden universe if you've read any of the dresden books there's a pack of werewolves called the alphas who are big rpg geeks basically and in the in the game of this they are writing this book based on harry dresden and there's notes all over it from them and from harry and from bob and from all these other people who are making comments and there's like little fake post-its which is a kind of cutesy thing that you've seen other people do that sometimes doesn't work at all but it actually works really well in this book for some reason and and actually it actually adds a lot to the um I don't want to say the immersion part, but the story, the story part of it, it, it actually works really, really well. And you have, again, this kind of false reality, like Harry saying stuff like, well, this is the way it works in real life, but for the purposes of the RPG, it'll work that way. You know, stuff like that. And and it, and it actually is pretty neat. Um, and, and, and those little bits actually give a lot of extra to it. Um, the RPG is going to have more books coming out. Um Right now, it only goes up to, I think, book nine or so. They've got another one to catch up to book 13 that should be coming out in, in this year sometime and some more adventures coming out, which is good because originally they only, they only have a couple of published adventures for this right now, and they're all free because that's all the license will let them do. But they got permission in order to actually like make and sell adventure modules. So they're going to be starting that this year as well. That sounds some like like some Batmite slash ambush bug stuff going on right there. A little bit of the breaking the fourth wall going on. A little bit, but it doesn't actually break the fourth wall in the sense that they never acknowledge there's a world outside of that, right? So they're breaking the fourth wall in that world, but they don't break, you know, they're not like giving a nod to us explicitly. But yeah, it is fun. It, it's neat. So, I mean, is there a particular favorite storyline you have from the series? Um, so one thing that I will say, um, Harry Dresden is a deeply flawed character (laughs) and especially early on. Um, I think that, um, the earlier books in particular are really kind of rough in some ways. Uh, one, Harry is annoyingly sexist early on, but like in, in that benevolent sexism kind of way, like he doesn't want to let women do anything and he wants to protect women. And that's like a lot of his motivation, but it's a flaw. It's not like, and, and he, it is, it's not something that's really lauded so much. Like it is a flaw. And I think it's an intentional flaw, especially early on, which as time goes on, he kind of has to deal with interacting with some of these characters. Um, my, I think he kind of hits his stride probably around book four. The summer night book is one of my favorites, uh, which involves uh, meeting the different courts of the the fairies, basically the the winter court and the summer court. Um, I thought that's where I, I started getting really interested in the series. How about you? 
Um, well, I want to go back to, to your, your comment about him, you know, being that, that sexist in a benevolent way. And I completely agree with that. But I also want to kind of put a, a, an addendum to that in that there are very strong female characters in the book. Well, that's why I'm differentiating between Harry and Jim Butcher. Absolutely, right? completely. I, I, but I think sometimes people read these books, they don't understand there is a difference between the two. I think a lot of people just assume that the author is putting himself in the protagonist's feet and, and that. In this case, it is a completely, you know, you're like you said, a, a characteristic of um, Dresden, and and that there are strong female characters. I think that gives Harry um, pause sometimes because he is used to to always trying to be that. He calls it chivalrous, but eh, walks a line with him sometimes. Yes. Um, yeah, and I said, like I said, especially in the early books, I know people would will get annoyed by that. Um, but yeah. he gets better as time goes on, especially when he's forced to to make choices and uh, having his butt saved a lot. So <clears throat> that's the other thing I really appreciate from the series is that you see character growth happen from it. I think far too often when you have series like these that go on for such a prolonged period of time, and you, like you said, they're, they're up to like twelve or thirteen books at this point they tend to to stagnate after a while because I think authors are afraid to tweak their characters and play with them at all for fear of losing their core audience, right? Yes, and one thing, this book, like this series, they, they're not filler. Like these novels, you never really get the sense that he's just treading water. Something significant happens to advance the world in every single book um, and and change the characters in every single book. Um, which is very unusual for some of these for a series of this length, I think. And and it's very important because you know, I think that you hurt yourself more if you allow a character to to stagnate and you just allow things to kind of go in this kind of floating. Like that's where I got tired of the um, the the Nightside series, right? Is that what's yeah? The, yes. the Night Side series. Tales from the Nightside. Yeah. Tales from the Nightside. Another. It, it's the Nightside series is um, by I Simon think, Simon Green. Yeah. Simon Green. Um has a lot in common with the Jim Butcher series, right? But the difference being that I feel in the Nightside series, early on they kind of stagnate a little bit, and and he's afraid to kind of push the story in, in one way or the other for fear of losing his core audience, and that's when I stopped reading those, right? And I've, I've been keeping up with Jim Butcher. The, I, I'm not through the entire series yet. You know, Beck's already, uh, my wife's already read them multiple times. Um, but... That's what I enjoy from this series is that he keeps it fresh. He keeps things changing. You know, you, he probably has a publicist telling him, you know, oh, you want to be careful. But, you know, I, I think that he I get the feeling from his writing styles that he's not he's enjoying or, or willing to kind of play with the lines a little bit. As far as my favorite, the, the first one, um, Stormfront, uh, is my favorite um, because uh, I love an origin story. Right. The, the first Spider-Man movie, the first Iron Man movie, the first, you know, Captain America. I, I love, just give me an origin story and I will be a happy guy. Okay, which first Spider-Man movie? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, the, the next one hasn't come out yet, so. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, that's that's my favorite one. I, li- I like to I like to get into the setup of things and, and, you know, figure out, you know, find out what all the little ins and outs are. Yeah, no, and and I think I think the I think the books get better uh, as time goes on as well. I was a tiny bit disappointed in Ghost Story, I have to say, which is the latest one. It's I'm hoping that the next one will build from that. I'll leave it at that for right now. Yeah, I, I remember um, my wife had some mixed reactions on that one too. So, mm-hmm. you know, not everyone can be gems. You know, <laughs> you got to look at the the quality of the overall product. Yeah. 
and the RPG does look like a lot of fun, and so I'd, I'd love to try that sometime. I, I think the RPG is a good place because there's a lot of different things in there to play around with, you know, being of the, the magical realm, you know, being, what are they called? The Templars or the, the Knights who, who, um, Knights who, of the cross. Yeah. Knights of the cross, the, 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 the white, <laughs> the white hat hatters in the, the series. Right. And then you have the, the fairy court and you have the, the vampire court, the red court and the, and the uh, black court and stuff like that. I think there's also a white court. Yes. If I remember correctly, there is, um, and so that gives a lot of um, fuel for an RPG because it gives a lot of variety for the characters. I think some of these series, like I, I can't see if you try to do a nightside RPG, I have no idea where you would start with that, right? Because it, right. in every book, it seems a little bit different on how the whole nightside is set up. Mm-hmm. And everybody is insanely powerful on the nightside. So oh my god, they have a horrible <laughs> Dragon Ball Z problem in that Sorry. in that series. Yes. You know, it's like, you know, one book, you know, oh, his power level's 1,000. Next book, oh, God, his power level's 10,000. Right. So it's, yeah, I completely agree. The, the the power creep, and that's another good difference, right? I'm, I'm moving my arms here, as if you can see me, right? I'm, not, <laughs> I'm getting into the conversation at this point. But you, you're, that's a great point you bring up. In, in the Simon Green books, it seems like the power level's always being pushed further and further up, whereas the, in the Dresden um, series constantly getting his butt kicked and just barely able to keep up with what's going on. Although that changes. <laughs> the power level does go up significantly in Dresden, but not quite as exponentially as uh, as the night side does. Yeah, but there's there's but, a there's a rhyme and reason for it. You you find yes. out why it goes up. It doesn't yes. just go up from nowhere. Right. He spends time and he invests time and energy in in story into explaining how he gets more powerful. It just doesn't happen out of nowhere. And there's costs, <laughs> right? And there's costs. Whereas in the Nightside series, it just seems like every single time he gets more powerful, he's just tapping into the gift, mm-hmm. and boom, more powerful. So, yeah. But I, I don't want to turn this into a bashing the Nightside series. I actually do like it, but like you said, it, it's a heavily flow. Well, no, you didn't say this, but it, it's <laughs> a heavily flawed series. That, that it's fun. I actually haven't read the latest one yet because the Kindle price is really expensive but once it goes down i'll read i'll read the latest one but it, it is a fun series i, I think the night side is fun we can talk about that when we talk more about some of these other series but they don't have a comic book and they don't have an rpg and they don't That's have true. a TV show yeah. they just have a book it would be a short com- i think we've covered it most in this conversation <laughs> I, I was thinking like uh, talking about different series like several different series in one episode later on Ah, sort of a cover your favorite, you know, sci-fi fantasy type of um, mm-hmm. stuff, you know, whatever it be may be. So, yes. I think that's a good idea. No, future episode being, yep. being uh, highlighted here now. Yep. So any other any other final um, last minute comments you want to make about uh, the Dresden Files? Not much. I mean, I say I'd say if if you have, especially if you're the least bit curious about the urban fantasy genre, uh, the Dresden Files is. Even though it's only come out in, in 2000, is a classic now in in that particular area. So it's definitely worth checking out. If, if you, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, the way I want to go out on it is, if you're a fan of like the Harry Potter books, but you always felt that there's a little bit too much shine on those books, like they they don't they don't get dirty enough in those books, right? That that's one of my biggest problem with Harry Potter. I love the Harry Potter books, but I wanted to see Harry Potter snap somebody's neck. I'm okay. sorry. I, I really sure. did. I mean, horrible shit happens to this kid, right? Horrible shit. From the very beginning, horrible shit happens to him. And at no point does he lose his cool and just beat somebody to a bloody pulp, which he would be 
purposely in, he would be fully in his right. He gets stopped by one of the Death Eaters, and Death Eaters are like, "Ha ha, gotcha now, boy!" And Harry Potter just screams all of the angst out and just swings his fist at this dude, just making him a bloody pulp. I would have been like, "This is the book I always wanted," right? Yep. But it, it's it's I, I don't know if it's part of the the British nature of it, but it's a little bit too you know too proper for me sometimes. It's funny. One of the quotes I recall reading on uh, the Jim Butcher site is from a review from a newspaper in Louisiana. And the quote is, Butcher's tales meld the wonder and fun of the Harry Potter series, but with an adult tone and attitude. So, yeah, I think uh, other people probably share your uh, your your reason there and your desire to see Harry Potter get his hands dirty. So, and that's the point I was trying to make is that <laughs> in in the, the, the Jim Butcher books here, in, in these Harry Dresden books, Harry will punch a dude. Into submission, you know, with last ditch effort, just start headbutting people or whatever, and that's what I like about it. You know, I, I I get tired of that sometimes with J.K. Rowling stuff. I understand why she does it. You know, it's supposed to be kids' books and stuff like that. But towards the end, towards the end, it was getting adult. It was getting into that, you know, teenage and older stuff. You know, they were dealing with a lot of death, a lot of horrible things were happening. But at no point did the characters just lose their cool and be like, "I am just gonna beat the ever loving shit out of you because you're an evil asshole." And that's sort of what I wanted, and and we get that in in the Butcher series. We don't get that in the the Rowling series. Yep. So yeah, yeah, I'd say check it out. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So and consume it in whatever medium you want. If you want, if you prefer comic books, read the comic books. If you prefer the uh, TV series, watch the TV series. Very good books. They got the audio books out there also. I've listened to those. I sometimes listen to audio books as I work. My wife calls me a uh, not a luddite, but a yeah. Uh, yeah. And the audio books are read by James Marsters. Yes, which is awesome, by the way, having uh, – uh, um, he played Spike, didn't he? Yes. Yes. Um, and I've, I've listened to those, and I think they're awesome. Although at first I was a little bit freaked out by listening to James Marsters and not, uh, James Marsters and not hearing an English accent. <laughs> then I realized he's like, oh, yeah, he's not British, actually. So. <laughs> That's right. He was, he, was learning British, he was learning British English from Giles, exactly. <laughs> I heard. So, yeah. I, I read that interview also, that he, he got tips from, from – uh, from Giles. So, um, yeah, well, however you want to do it, read it. Um, and we would be happy to, to hear your thoughts on the series. You know, am I just completely, you know, off my rocker with, with my, uh, opinion of the, the you know, punch and evil in the face or what have you, but please email us and, or tweet, um, tweet us or whatever. Tell us what you think of the, uh, the, uh, the Jim Butcher series, uh, with, uh, the Dresden files. All right. So on to online gaming, online gaming. And we've already been touching on this. You, you and I are, are big into RPGs. I think within our group, um, you and I run the most. Um, uh, maybe JJ's up there also, but I think you and I are definitely the two um, game masters that are the most in rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm currently running two play-by-post campaigns, an A-team campaign. Um, it's a Scales of War Adventure Path series tweaked to, to um, follow sort of an A-team theme, so all the characters are martial-based characters. And to kind of frame this, we're going to be talking primarily about Dungeons & Dragons 4.0, but a lot of what I'm going to cover here can be applied to other series, including GURPS, including um, Pathfinder, you know, or, or whatever your your flavor is for RPGs, but, but within the confines of this conversation, it's going to be mostly focused on D&D 4E. Um, so I run two play-by-post campaign. War of the Burning Sky is one. Um, the Scales of War A-Team campaign is another. And then we're going to start up a new live tabletop campaign at my house uh, next week, um, and I'm just going to be running Scales of War again for you guys, because none of you guys have 
played in it uh, have played it yet. You're not playing in the play-by-post, and I don't think anyone in our group has actually played it at all. I, you may have read some of it, but I don't think you've played it at all. Correct. Um, and really, this this conversation is, is taking place because a buddy of mine, Tom, who has lived in various parts of the world isolated from his uh, geek hobbying has tried to has had to figure out unique ways to kind of get his geek flavor on a little bit and he wanted you know there he, he thought it would be helpful if uh, somebody kind of relayed the helpful tricks for playing games right um, in a more of an isolated setting and that's where these tools come into play because there's a lot of tools that you can use for still gaming without everyone being at the table together um, and I think we really started learning a lot about that when I moved to Japan. Right. Um, so I left to Japan, um, and so that basically kind of removed one of the the primary uh, game masters in rotation. And then you started working pretty heavily on your uh, PhD at that time. Um, and and I don't think you were running as much when I left either. Then right. right. Correct. So there was a bit of a a um, a drought of gaming at that point, and then I. Or you guys did play some stuff, didn't you? We did. We did play some. We played. We played a bit while you were gone. Uh, some some other things, and I think JJ ran some, and, and some other people. And uh, yeah, but yes, I heard about some of the JJ campaigns. We can have him on sometime. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we have him on for those campaign sessions, it might be more of an inquisition than anything else. I, I heard some some interesting stories about horrible death and dismemberment from those series. <laughs> so, um. And so, yeah. Innovation, we like to call it. Innovation, that's a good way to put it. Let's, let's put a positive spin on that one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, at some point, I was getting kind of desperate. I wanted to do some gaming. I mean, I was I was playing World of Warcraft and stuff like that, but I'm, I'm more of an old-school gamer. I can't do everything for, on video games because video games do have a limitation, right? You know, they, they only will let you play the content that the um, that the game uh, makers have for you. So, you know, if you run out of content, there's nothing left to play. So, I wanted to run a campaign for you guys, and that's where Map Tools entered our life. So, if you go to the uh, the website, it's uh, the tool is called Map Tools, but the actual um, site that it's hosted on is uh, www.rptools.net. Um, they have a host of, of online tools for playing your uh, tabletop sessions. Um, and the, the most important one, the one that's the, the most handy, is their map tool system. Um, it's a Java-based program that allows you to host a server, to, to host a, a session that other people can join that has a map interface that you can then drag and drop tokens onto, and you can customize it. It's all done in HTML um, coding, right? So if you know even a little bit of HTML, you're going to know a lot of what's going on in here. And it has embedded dice rollers and stuff like that, and it has a great way. The, the maps can be as easy or as, as complicated as you want. A lot of times... What I'll do is I'll just take a, a JPEG of the map that people are playing on, and I'll just put it on there, line it up with the grid system, and that's it. But I've seen other people actually build entire maps out of all the little tiles that you can get for it. You know, they make the roads, they make the buildings and stuff like that. They they put in, like, little features, you know, movable um, terrain and what have you. So that's one of the great things about Map Tools is that it can be as easy if you just want to take five minutes to throw a map up there and get it all ready to go for your players or you can actually create topology that's one of the things i played with early on was um 
you can play with light sources in there and actually make a tunnel uh, or a dungeon that players can only see. There's a fog of war system. They can only see what they have a light source to see. I think that's one of the things that maybe you don't always experience in tabletop because you usually just draw the map and then you just kind of figure out what people can and cannot see. And there's no real risk in there. There's no real sense of um, tension. But the first time I ran a map tool campaign and I took the time to kind of draw out the topology and then I put light sources on people and I asked everyone, I was like, what is your light source? And people, you know, the players were like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, do you have a torch? Do you have a sun rod? And they're like, well, yeah, I got a sun rod. And I was like, all right, let's throw it on there. That gives you, you know, I think it's like 20 squares of, of, um, of light. And so they see all of a sudden there's an edge to their vision and they can actually see that the tunnel kind of wraps around and they can't see everything. So as they see an opening, they can't see everything the opening goes to. There's actual, like, you know, view restrictions on there. And not only that, once they start going a certain distance, fog of war, all of a sudden, you know, what you saw previously becomes shades of gray because you, you no longer have direct vision to it. Freak the players out, right? It was a whole new dimension to the game for them because suddenly they were experiencing the tension of having limited light source in a dungeon experience, which they'd never actually had before playing it in a normal ta- tabletop way. So, I think there's actual benefits to playing on map tools versus playing at the tabletop. Certainly, it's a lot less work for the GM because I know we've we've played before with only putting monsters out where people can see, but that gets really hard to manage over time. And as people move, and you know, when one person sees it, then everyone sees it. So yeah, it, it kind of it, it adds to that a bit. Uh, if I can back up one second. It is free. Map Tools is completely and totally free. It, it uses an open source license. Uh, it it uh, uses the Apache license 2.0 MIT license, and uh, and you can develop on it. It's got a it's got a thing up on SourceForge. So yeah, it, it's it's a great free resource. I agree. Uh, you were when when you were in Japan, you were running for us uh, mutants and masterminds. That's when that's when we played Map Tools first, and then D and D, which was very interesting. And it worked out great for Mutants and Masterminds also. What I did was, um, <laughs> here's a really interesting thing, because there's when you look up like dungeon maps and stuff like that, there's tons of those D&D dungeon maps, but when you're trying to find maps for more modern resources, there's not as many. And so what I actually ended up doing is, I started looking up um, architectural schematics for mm-hmm. locations, and that's what I would use. And there's a ton of those online because you can you can impose a grid over them with map tools. Exactly. So you've, you've got your you've got your map. <laughs> so I would look up, you know, hey, uh, layout for gas station or something like that, right? And you can find that stuff online. Just Google it or Bing or whatever, and and there'll be tons of images you can use. Pick the one you want, put it on there, lay out the grid system the way that that works for you. You know, if you want to use hexes, they got hexes. If you want to use squares, they got squares, right? And boom, you're good to go. And that's the easy, like you said, it makes GMing a lot easier. Rather than trying to figure out everything, do a simple um, search for for what you're trying to do, br- browse through it. Like I could usually find what I'm looking for on the first page of, of my search parameter, right? Um, and so yeah, I just made GMing that much easier. I didn't have to worry about putting in a ton of work of figuring out what's the bar gonna look like, whatever I got to do for this, that, and the other. I'd always have like little NPC tokens just ready to go. And again. Um, like you were talking about, it's open source. Uh, people put together frameworks for this stuff, right, to where they have uh, pre-programmed um, systems for creating tokens and stuff like that. So 
just as I was saying, it can be as as easy or as complicated as you want. Your tokens can just have your hit points and defenses and and stuff like that, or they can be full recreations of your character with all your powers, healing surges, you know, all your hit point skills, um, has all your hit bonuses, and it can have like little um, conditional overlays. So you can put in like, oh, I'm I'm wounded, or oh, I'm taking five necrotic damage, and then, you know, at the end of your turn, you can hit end of my turn, it'll automatically do like uh, saving throws for all the conditions on you and stuff like that. So again, um, I, I'm a big believer in the Veggie Sama. Um, tool, the, the Vegisama framework for map tools. It makes things a lot easier for playing D&D, and we'll, we'll put a link up for that. Um, but it's really as easy or as complicated as you want it to be. If you just want it to have the the you know the, the hit points and defenses and just roll and all that good stuff, can do that no problem. And so, I think it's one of those tools that e- people use not just for playing online, which we certainly did. So I'm in Japan, and I'm, I'm running a Map Tools campaign. You guys connect. We're, we're on Skype, and we're talking, and I'm going through the sessions and stuff like that. Worked out great. But I also am hearing more people are using it at home with uh, projectors because it's so easy to, to just throw a JPEG image on for the map. What they're trying, to, what they're doing now is, and this is something that I've been actually looking into doing myself at home, getting a projector to, to um, tilt it in a certain angle, and then a mirror that bounces the image onto the table, to where I just, boom, you know, we got the map instantly, and and people can interact with it and move their tokens around and stuff like that. It, it's it looks really cool, and it, it I think it really adds a lot to the gaming session. Right, so a combination tabletop with the benefits of both the tabletop being there and the the map tools uh, interface. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another really great thing they did that uh, we've used for some of our sessions is the initiative tool tracker. Um, this one um, is, this is actually a tool that's included in map tools, but this one's separate. If you're not using map tools, you can just use this. And it's a simple way to pre-build all, because I think one of the things that kind of drags down combat a little bit is when you have to roll initiative for everyone, right? So all your players roll initiative, you roll initiative, you figure out who's going first, and you got to keep track of everything. The initiative tool tracker, what it does is you can, um, you can load encounters into it, right? So what JJ would do is he would have all the encounters for the session prepared, and then anytime combat would start, he would just load the encounter, and it would automatically roll initiative for everyone, and he'd be like, all right, combat started, Carlos, you're up first, and we would just go into the game. You wouldn't have to worry about any of that. I know some traditionalists probably won't like a computer doing their role for them on initiative um, at a tabletop game, um, but of course, if you just want to roll it yourself, you can, and then you can manually adjust the initiative for any character. Mm-hmm. So I think that's another really fantastic tool um, that if you're not playing a cyber campaign, um, this one is is uh, still handy to, to make your, uh, in, your, your live games move just a little faster. Right. And as we talk about all the good, I do think we need to talk about some of the bad. Um, so we're talking about an amazing virtual tabletop system. Let's talk about a not-so-amazing virtual tabletop system, the Dungeons & Dragons Insider Virtual Tabletop. Uh, it's very sad. It is very sad. Um, you and I both played around with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is another Java-based system, and it just doesn't do what MapTools does as well. Right. I think the only thing that it does successfully is allows you to import your character from the character builder, the online character builder. But even then, you're still very limited. Right. It doesn't do all the powers automatically. And all the, <laughs> I, I think that's their intent. 
but it's been so long in the making. I mean, these 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 are tools, and the virtual tabletop was something that they had said was going to be around at the advent of fourth edition. However, you know, and now it's been how many years, and it's in beta now, and it doesn't do um, nearly any. It doesn't do a lot of the things that they would like it to do at this point. Um, yeah, so it's been kind of. Uh, I don't know. Disaster is that a is that a good word to use in this case? It's. it's I, I think that's a fair assessment. Whereas Map Tools, convenience was the number one thing for them, right? Mm-hmm. It, it like it, it has layers of of um, nuance that like like I've been saying the entire time, it's as easy as you want it to be, or as complicated as you want it want it to be. You know, either or. Uh, the the virtual tabletop for the D and D Insider subscription. Um, it, it doesn't have the convenience there, right? First of all, whereas in map tools, you can just import any image to be your map and then adjust the grid accordingly. Um, for this one, you have to build your map out of the Dungeons & Dragons tiles. Right. That is not convenient. That is a pain in the butt. And, you know, the, it doesn't have all of the cool tiles that you could possibly want, so there, it's going to be limited on what you can build and what you can make. And it's just that in of itself is a problem because all of a sudden you're limited on what you can create. Um, they don't have a good um, status tracker for conditions. They do have an initiative tracker, but then again, that's probably one of the easier things to make, right? So uh, for, for me, they don't get a whole lot of points for that. Right. So not that good. Not that good. Um, it seems like the best stuff is community-made. So... Another tool I want to talk about that's great for, for um, online gaming, and this one I use more for my play-by-posts, I want to talk about iPlay4E. How much do you know about iPlay4E? Um, I've seen it before, but only through your games. So I use this a lot for uh, my online um, play-by-post campaigns. iPlay4E, what you can do is take one of your D&D 4E character builder files. Now, this is can be from either... Um, CB Loader, the the community um, produced and community fan made um, uh, supported uh, modification for the old character builder that uh, Wizards of the Coast uh, converted, or if you're using the online character builder, they have you can export it. Right. So I, I use the online one. I exported it. I uploaded it to iPlay4e. Worked really well. Yeah. And what it does is um, in iPlay4e, it creates a, a a web a web page for your character, um, and then you can see all aspects of your character, your powers and stuff like that. You can add conditions, you can subtract hit points. It, it tracks all of that, right? Mm-hmm. So, if I make a modification on my computer here, if I go log onto my computer upstairs, I can see like what my current hit points are, how many surges I have left, you know, if I have any ongoing damage. I can also like have my powers, you know, marked as used or unused and stuff like that, and all the powers are linked back to their compendium um, uh, uh, references. Right. So if you're logged into your uh, D&D Insider account, uh, you click on it, and it'll it's integrated into that, and it'll pull up the right information. And as a dungeon master, what the great thing they have is you can actually make a campaign. And what happens is, is you make the campaign, you invite people based off of their Google account ID or their, their Gmail account, they post their characters into the campaign, and then you have a great little overview of all the characters and what their current status is. It gives you their defenses, a, a, a quick visual reference to their defenses, how many hit points they have, 
what resistances they have, um, how many healing surges they have left. You can you can put um, in custom conditions on them. You can apply um, rest to them, a milestone, an extended rest. So it's a great and easy way to keep track of what's happening in your campaign, right? And so I use it for all my play-by-post campaign, and, and I make the characters keep things updated, and I will apply effects to them. So that way... I, we really know what all's happening with people, and I don't need to, like, there's never a question like, oh, how many hit points do I have left, or how many healing searches do I have left, or have I used this power? Quick, easy way, great for play-by-post campaigns. I wouldn't use it for an online, like, tabletop campaign, because, like, that would be more map tools, and map tools can keep track of that stuff for you, but play-by-post, invaluable. And then, the final tool I want to mention is... um the uh, Orocus uh, uh, tool, the the 4E Orocus. Have you seen this one? I haven't seen that one at all. So let me give you a link to this. So basically, one of the other things that you need to keep track of are dice rolling. Um, And I've seen people do it kind of differently. Some people will do dice rolls and just say, okay, well, we're playing a play-by-post, just roll it at home and be honest and stuff like that. But you know, you can't always trust people. A lot of times you'll play play-by-post campaigns with people you've never met before. What this does is it also allows you to create a campaign, and it can import those I play 4E character sheets, again, just like I play uh, the other one, or the, uh, the, uh, the D&D character sheets, just like I play 4E can. Right, and so those are all XML-based, so that's why you can import them back and forth between these applications. Absolutely, absolutely. They're all XML-based, and, and it makes it a lot easier to track all these things. But what it becomes is a online dice rolling auditing system, right? So as your characters are uploaded and they're assigned a campaign, you can enter in um, a dice roll. And what it does is it takes the roll from your character sheet and for your on your character sheet, it'll automatically have it set there. So I can go to one of my character sheets and say, okay, um, let's see here, for my uh, Warforged Sword Mage, I have Sword Burst, right? So I hit the little dice uh, next to it, and it'll say, okay, Sword Burst versus Reflex, uh, 1d20 plus 11, uh, semicolon 1d6 plus 7. And then I can modify that as I see fit. Um, and then if I hit roll it, it rolls that that um, that power, and it applies it to the campaign so someone can go back and audit it later to see what people have been rolling for these various powers. And what it also does is it automatically creates the BBC code that you can post it into a form. It'll have things bolded and hyperlinked because it keeps each role as its own page. Gotcha. So it hyperlinks it. So you just, once you're done rolling, you just copy the, the BBC code that it automatically generates for you, post it in there and say, okay, I rolled this. Here it is. Here's the roll for it. Here's the results. Cool. So if you're running a play-by-post campaign, the two tools you really need to use are iPlay4E and and the Oroco site. And also, I do use map tools for my campaigns uh, online because one of the features of it is is you can put in the coordinate system, so it'll do um, alpha on the top, numerical on the left, and it kind of becomes a chessboard. So what my players do is say, okay, I'm going to move to G4 and use my power, right? Mm-hmm. So all these three tools combined, all you need at this point is a form. And there's a lot of different forums. I, I'm not going to... I play on somethingawful.com, but that's not for everyone because, you know, goons are not always the most welcoming people to new people. Um, are there any specific online play, uh, places that you know of that run decent uh, play-by-post campaigns? 
Uh, depending on what you do, there's there's a bunch on the Paizo forums. Uh, of course, most of that is going to be Pathfinder, but not all of it is. Um, and those seem to be, they're always recruiting, and they, they, they have some pretty decent games going there. Um, they had some on Wizards. I'm not sure that they really do, they really support that now, though. Um, and N-World has some as well. And I think there's another place called Obsidian Portal. Obsidian Portal... Um, Obsidian Portal is a campaign manager website, and I have an account for it where you can – there are free accounts and there's pay accounts. Um, when, you, when, you, when you're a GM, you can set up a campaign world that has its own – every campaign will have its own forum, its own wiki, its own you know, place to put maps, all kinds of stuff up on there. Uh, it's a handy, it's a handy, pretty handy thing uh, if you have a group that, that that's going to use it. Uh, one of my games used it quite a bit and used it to track a lot of information and do journal entries and, and do forum things, and it's worked out really well if if people use it. So yeah, basically, go go look, see which forum site you know meets your your needs for you know playing these games, or if you can find a group, just play on Map Tools, right? All you need is Skype and and Map Tools, and you can play there also. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surprised they haven't built like a way to import the iPlay 4E or not the iPlay 4E, the the character builder files into Map Tools, but maybe that's a limitation of XML into Java. But anyways. Lots of resources here. So the the primary things I want you to walk away with are Map Tools or or RPTools.net, you know, and, and Map Tools is their primary one. Um, I play 4E and Arocus. Those are really the the three great online playing tools. Um, if you're in a place where you don't have access to all the easy, um, you know, a, a, a local gaming store that you can play at, or maybe your friends aren't there, your your normal friends, offer to run a Map Tool campaign and and see how it works out for you guys. And I was going to mention a couple of things, uh, one of which I've used and two of which I haven't used. So uh, the, let me start. I have not used something called T-Top RPG, but I've heard that's a very good kind of simple, uh, like if you don't want to do a lot of the macro programming kind of things, it's a good map shared kind of interface. Uh, it is Windows-based, unfortunately. just I, I believe it just runs on Windows at this point, but I've heard people use that successfully. Um, and I'll put a link to that in, in the show notes. Um, I was also going to mention Google Hangouts actually has a, a beta version of something that integrates into it that sounds like it plays an awful lot like map pools, and it's called Tabletop Forge. And it's a virtual tabletop where you can import maps and import characters and put macros on the characters and, and do a lot of things like that. Um, you can get it now for Google Hangouts, and I've heard that people use it quite a bit, but they're doing a Kickstarter at the moment to raise money for uh, more resources for it. Uh, and it's already met the – it's only been up for two days, I think, but it's already met the uh, the funds and, and looks like it's going to be going on. And if you do back it, you get interesting things like people who work with it or module authors or different kinds of groups uh, running games for you and showing you how to play it and stuff like that. So I think it's a really good example of a, an interesting Kickstarter project as well. Um, and the other one I was going to mention was Obsidian Portal, which I do use. And like I said, I actually do have a pay account for Obsidian Portal. Um, and um, you can you can it's also another really good place to look around so you can go to obsidianportal.com and they have uh different highlighted campaigns 
and it's it's a good place to look and see what people are doing and what uh, what kinds of resources they use. And a lot of them are open so that you can look at their forums and look at their wikis and look just kind of see how people can use these online tools to assist their games a lot of times. I mean, you can do play-by-post in the forums, but often it's it's used as kind of a resource, an online resource where people can, uh, even offline games, you can discuss and, and share information and stuff like that. So it, it's pretty neat. Very cool, very cool. So lots of resources out there for you guys. Um, there's realistically no reason why you couldn't be playing um, a, a, a virtual tabletop session either through play-by-post. Play-by-post isn't for everyone. You have to have patience. Um, so I've been running my A-team campaign for about two years now. We're about to hit our two-year anniversary. And they're only level seven. Um, so it's a very slow-paced campaign. But in some ways... That works out really well, so when they do something that's a little bit off-kilter, like I'm not prepared for, I have time to adjust on the fly for it. Um, and the, the virtual tabletop, the only other thing is, uh, you might want to mention there, is you might want to use an audio system where you can mute people. Because if you got some chatty caddies, um, they can sometimes... Um, uh, hog up game time. Yes, the other thing that I that I that I recall happening is that occasionally people will go and have side conversations uh, when you're playing online and like uh, side chats and stuff like that, and can get kind of distracted. So uh, have have try to engage your players. Try to engage your players, or you know, set some ground rules about you know how the pacing should be uh, be and and stuff like that. You know, don't be rude about it, but. You definitely do need to have a conversation about how things work on the the virtual tabletop you know, gaming system because it's not going to run the same way as your live uh, tabletop stuff. All right, I think that's some great uh, resources there. Any other final um, comments or words on that one? Uh, not on that one. I had a couple other things I wanted to talk about a little bit, but I think on that one I'm pretty much done for now. All right, let's go into the ad hoc. What do we got? Uh- so just some geek kind of news. Uh, I heard that uh, just various things that I've, I've seen online in the last few days. Um, you saw Thor, right? Of course. Yeah. Um, so the Warriors 3. Apparently the character of the Warriors, the Warriors 3 Fandral, who's the goatee, the guy with the goatee, um, he was originally, I read, going to be played by Chuck from, from the television series, Zachary, Zachary Levi. Um, and... He apparently is going to play that character in the sequel, which I thought was interesting because I haven't seen him in, around uh, since Chuck. Uh, so that'll be that'll be fun to watch. Which one is he playing now? The the the, the heavy set bearded one? No, no, the one with the goatee, the one with the rapier goatee type. Oh, okay, because that was being played by the guy who played Punisher in Punisher Warzone. Right, and apparently he is in a television series now. I uh, possibly happily ever after, but I haven't seen it. Um, and so he he can't uh, commit to the movie at this point. So they're they're going back to to Chuck again. Sweet. Um, new Teen Titans cartoon. So if if you liked that old that cartoon that that happened in the in the mid mid early two thousands, uh, they're they're picked up with some more seasons for that now after all these years later. So that that'll be fun because I, I really did enjoy that series quite a bit. Um, and the other interesting thing that they're redoing, uh, back in the did you read a lot of comics in the eighties? I, I actually don't know the answer to that question. Like early eighties when you were a kid? Uh, no, not early eighties. So early mid eighties, there was a comic called Amethyst. Uh, which was, you know, there's there's an there's a genre of anime of anime which I mentioned before, the magical girl genre, right? 
And Amethyst was kind of one of the first magical girls that I know of. That basically she was this little girl who got transported to another world, got all kind, grew up when she moved back and forth between the real world and this world, and uh, or sorry, the the magic world and the real world, and uh, and has all these magical powers, kind of thing. Like she's she's secretly uh, the ruler of of this kingdom, and and anyway, it was an interesting series that came out. Uh, there were two series in the '80s. Had a brief reappearance uh, during Flashpoint. Uh, a very sad and short appearance and uh she's actually being she's kind of a fan favorite and she's she's having getting a new series in september so uh the next line of dc uh cuts and relaunches is going to occur in september and i know two of the series that are coming out are going to be amethyst and the phantom stranger uh and there's definitely more than that but those are the two that i know off the top of my head and really looking forward to amethyst it will be very interesting very cool uh kickstarter Bunch of new Kickstarter stuff that that sounds interesting. I mentioned Tabletop Forge. This one is this one's currently uh, open still. Uh, the virtual tabletop for Google Plus Hangouts. Take a look at it if you're interested in that technology. If you use Google Plus uh, and you want to try that for gaming, you can go download it and try it out now uh, without paying anything. It's a free project. It's a free thing again, but um, it, it it looks like it's a very worth backing if if you're into that at all. Um, Traveler. There's a tr- new Traveler coming out. Traveler 5th Edition. Did you ever play Traveler? Yes, yes. Uh, that's one of uh, Scott's favorite campaigns. I See, played I, that uh, a couple times. I did not know that. Yeah, Traveler is a space uh, a space RPG. A science fiction space RPG. Um, it, it's been made for many systems. It's, had, it's got its own Traveler system. It's been made for GURPS. It's been made for D20, which was called the T20 system. And they're coming out with Traveler 5th Edition. Uh, it, they're using Kickstarter to fund it, like so many people are right now. And the book is going to be huge. Um you can't. You can only get. You can start getting the hardback at the hundred dollar level, and it is a six hundred page hardback at this point. You know, there, there's other levels that are less expensive where you can get the PDFs and stuff like that. But yeah, this is going to be a, a a huge, physically huge book. Um, but it is. It is. Traveler is a lot of fun, and like I've wound up saying, it's the only game where you can die during character creation. So uh, I, I actually really enjoy that. It. it I, I I like that game quite a bit. I don't know if I'd ever really highlight that as a game feature. <laughs> it's just funny. Uh, it doesn't happen a lot, but it can happen. Um, depending on, and you know, you have to make choices that would that would cause that to possibly happen. But yeah, it is a risk depending on the things you do during your character creation, and it, it is fun because you do come out with a really interesting and varied background when you use their 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 kind of more random generation type stuff. And and yeah, it, 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 but you can die. Um, Another let's see, to, uh, another Kickstarter, Open Design. Um, so I had mentioned that I helped work on the Open Design um, Midgard bestiary for Pathfinder. Well, now they're doing a Kickstarter for the Midgard bestiary for Fourth Edition, and that is up. That just got put up in the last couple of days, and it's actually that book is actually already done. Uh, they just need to raise the money to. Uh, publish it and and send out physical copies if people want physical copies so there's a kickstarter for that and it is a really interesting book i've already seen a bunch of the monsters through what i was doing with the pathfinder version and it's got that and more um and different levels give you different options as far as you know there's the base book and there's expansions and stuff like that so really really good source for some fun uh monsters if you need more fourth edition monsters uh the other one i was going to mention is uh there's a there's a uh 
a Kickstarter for something called Tropes versus Women in Video Games, which kind of looks at uh, the way that some of the some of the more negative ways that women are portrayed in video games. Um, and one of the interesting things to happen to that, and the reason that I saw it in the first place, is because shockingly, and of course I'm being sarcastic by saying that, it, when they every Kickstarter has to have a YouTube video associated with it. And the comments on this YouTube video were some of the worst things that I've ever seen. It was like it was like B on 4chan. It was it was pretty terrible. And partly as a result of that, I think, because that got a lot of news and certainly that's how I saw it. A lot of people have been donating to it, which I think is pretty neat. Um, and it, and I'll link to all these Kickstarters in the comment section. Oh, one last Kickstarter thing. The BronyCon documentary, which is about the the kind of the My Little Pony brony phenomenon, at least partly, um, ha- was successfully funded. Uh, and it was funded in, in two different places. One of them was Kickstarter, and they also had another page to donate from PayPal, which you can actually still donate to. And it was the second most successful movie funding on Kickstarter ever. And that's just looking at the Kickstarter, not the PayPal thing. It raised uh, more than $300,000. And it's being produced by um, Michael Brockoff, who, who's a producer, but also uh, John Delancey, who you might know as Q from Star Trek, who actually played a voice in, in the My Little Pony series. Um, Lauren Faust, series creator, and Tara Strong, who's a really uh, well-known and, and um, well-represented voice actress who also plays the one of the, one of the characters in that show, and you might know her also as playing Harley in Arkham City and, and a bunch of other characters. Um, so yeah, that that'll be interesting too. Um, that should be coming out, and if you're still interested in donating that, although the Kickstarter is closed, you can look at that on PayPal. So you can still go through PayPal to donate to that. If it's not Kevin Conroy, I don't care. <laughs> no, that's wrong. I shouldn't say that. Um, I'm just, you know. I think that's one of the reasons I was kind of put off by the the Christian Bale voice for Batman is because you you listen to the Kevin Conroy voice for so long and you're just like that that's Batman that's Batman <laughs> so yeah, anything he does voice very well yeah yeah so did you see the uh, the thing where they had a whole bunch of those voice actors um do the uh, the Star Wars uh, I script did. I did I saw this they had uh, Mark Hamill and uh, who else was it yeah I did see those YouTube videos. So a lot of the people who do voices for online series, be it Futurama, Simpsons, uh, Family Guy, or you know uh, Kevin Conroy's there. Also, he did the, the the overall narration. They they did this bit where they were going to do scene. They were going to do the entire Star Wars movie, the Star Wars New Hope, um, and basically each scene would be different voices that these people do. My favorite was when the Bender voice was used for one of the stormtroopers. That was right. just awesome. <laughs> But um, you know stuff like that, man. That's that's what geek culture is just so awesome. And it's a really good way that these artists connect with the fans, which is really important and and uh, and really does help build the culture quite a bit. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I think that's kind of wraps the episode, don't you? I do. Thank you all very much for listening, and we will uh, try to be on time, assuming that nothing awesome comes out in the next week. <laughs> we are slaves to our passions. What can I say? That's right. So, um, anything you want to highlight for next episode? I don't really have anything off the top of my head for next episode. Yeah, we'll keep it. We'll we'll keep, we'll keep it uh, surprise then. Next episode will be the mystery episode. We don't know what we're going to talk about. Could just be Guild Wars for an hour and a half. Who knows? <laughs> so, um, I think that'll be it for uh, coming out of the basement. Uh, yeah, th- like I said, thanks for listening. And I think you've got an hour and a half or two hours and a half to to look at Guild Wars two again now before they shut down this beta weekend. I'm going to go in there and build me some trebuchets and knock down some walls. All right. Have fun. All right. So 
Um, you can reach us on Twitter at COTB1, or you can email us at podcast at comingoutofthebasement.com. You can find us at comingoutofthebasement.com. All right. Uh, please feel free to uh, email us. Let us know what you think about our episodes. Or thank, if we just... thank you. And yes, people have been commenting. Uh, Derek and Ellie in particular have commented quite a bit. Thank you all very much. And we are actually going to talk about some of the stuff that you said in future episodes. And I got some email from some guy who was just bombing through all the uh, the episodes. Some some random dude was just like, I love it. I'm listening to each one. There's not enough time in the day. Well, thank you very much. I hadn't seen those yet. That's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So, um, And uh, as always, thank you to the Tech Shop boys. Um, make sure to go visit the uh, the network interface and uh, thank you to the knights who say neat and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time later later